Please stand for the scripture reading. The scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. So to honor Black History Month, you will be hearing poems written by black poets. And I'm going to start this morning by, with a poem by Amanda Gorman, who was the laureate who wrote the poem for President Biden's This is entitled Miracle of Morning. I thought I'd awaken to a world in mourning, heavy clouds crowding, a society storming, but there's something different on this golden morning, something magical in the sunlight, wide, wide and warming. I see a dad with a stroller taking a jog, Across the street, a bright-eyed girl chases her dog. A grandma on her porch fingers her rosaries. She grins as her young neighbor brings her groceries. While we might feel small, separate, and all alone, our people have been more, never been more tightly tethered because the question isn't if we'll weather the unknown, but how we'll weather this unknown together. So on this meaningful morn, we mourn and we mend. Like light, we can't be broken, even when we bend. As one, we'll defeat both despair and disease. We'll stand with healthcare heroes and all employees, with families, libraries, waiters, schools, artists, businesses, restaurants, and hospitals hit hardest. We ignite not in the light, but in lack thereof for it is in loss that we truly learn to love. In this chaos, we will discover clarity. In suffering, we must find solidarity. For it's our grief that gives us our gratitude, shows us how to find hope if ever we lose it. So don't ignore the pain, give it purpose, use it. Read children's books, dance alone to DJ music, Know that this distance will make our hearts grow fonder. From a wave of woes, our world will emerge stronger. We'll observe how the burdens braved by humankind are also those moments that make us humans kind. Let, us each, dawn, let each dawn find us courageous, brought closer, heeding the light before the fight is over. When this ends, We'll smile sweetly, finally seeing. In testing times, we become the best 
of beings. When I was looking at this particular poem, I stumbled upon a site that is a daily poem. Ooh, I'm so excited. So today I had another poem that was really, really good, but this one's still better. And I really think that there's going to be a lot of poetry that will enter my life by chance. Of having poetry enter my life by chance. There would have been a time in my life that I would have read a poem by Amanda Gorman and been angry because I wish I could do that too. But now I realize that God gives us different gifts and part of my gift is to find these poems and share them because some of you wouldn't even look for them. So it's a really good thing to know where your gifts are. I titled this sermon some time ago when I was thinking about what it means in our culture to even have such a thing as a low-sodium diet, to think about what it is like to try to cut the salt, take that one thing and put it aside. Now, I was told to watch my salt a time ago, and so I do. I watch it every time I turn the little thing and make sure that it's going in the right place. I don't like things terribly salty, but I do believe that salt does give food good taste. I'm more of a pepper person, and there's nothing about that that Jesus said, so I have as much pepper as I like. But one of the things is how we cover up light. If we look at the lights in this building, the globe over them, or something to diffuse the light or to cover it up, and in our homes, don't we have lampshades on almost all of our lamps? Something to make the light not quite so bright so that it doesn't hurt our eyes. We don't want glare. But sometimes, I think, we need to have the glare of light in order to wake us up to see what's going on. We have so many people who are bumping around in the dark who cannot, for the life of them, find a glimmer of hope or light in their lives. Jesus says that we are the light of the world. that we can cover that light up, that we don't need to share it, because once I've got the light, it's all about me anyway, right? So if I've got the light, I can just keep that all packaged up and keep it inside of me. I'm not required to share it. And what we find is if we take something into ourselves and then don't share it, it kind of rots inside of us. 
Sharing is what makes life worthwhile. Over the past couple of weeks, I've spent a couple of hours on the phone with two or three of my friends. And I find it different when I have people I can talk to for that length of time and not get irritated. There are some people that irritate me in five minutes, but there are others that I find sharing what is important helps us both or all go deeper. I think one of the reasons that I am so excited to see my spiritual director is that she forces me to go deeper, forces me. I can tell you right now what she will ask me. We sit, she's moved, so I'm not sure where I'm going to sit, but we will sit in chairs facing one another, and she will say, since the last time I saw you, when have you felt closest to God? And after I answer that question, she will say, and when, since I last saw you, have you felt farthest away from God? These are not questions that can be answered with one-word answers. There are times that we spend an hour just talking about those two questions. But when she called me to make this appointment, she said, I'm adding a question. And I said, oh dear, what are we doing now, Sister Mary Ellen? And she said, I'm going to ask you when in the past few months have you shared the love of God? I'm still pondering that. But she is a person who pushes me beyond where I think I need to be, who makes me think on a deeper level, and who pushes me to see myself as I really am, not as I like to have people think I am. I think that that translates as well to a congregation or to a community of faith. When in the time that I have been here, have you felt closest to God? When in the time that I have been here, have you felt closest to God? farthest away from God? And when, in the time that I have been here, have you shown the love of God to someone else? I could say I'd like answers, but I'm going to let you ponder those things. Think about it. And because this whole idea of keeping our faith to ourselves is crazy. When Jesus tells us that we're the salt of the earth, he's telling us to sprinkle it around, not just keep it for ourselves, because that will make us turn brown and icky. It might keep us from rotting, but it isn't going to help us to serve. And if we don't share our light, 
we're going to be in the dark. Now, a few weeks ago, we had a power outage. And I always like to use a power outage as an example of what it's really like to be in the dark. Because if there's a powder, power outage, you don't have any ambient light. We are so used to ambient light that we think that it's supposed to be there all the time. And when it's not, it makes us disoriented. I would say when we had the power outage, the SPRC had given me a kit of stuff to have in my car to keep me safe. And to be honest with you, that was the only flashlight I had because I couldn't find a flashlight in my house. So I had a flashlight and my four Advent candles on the table. And that was my source of light. One flashlight. Candles had to be put out because the cats thought that they were a toy and they kept trying to get too close to them and I had visions of cats going up in flames and I thought, no, we're not going to do that. So then we ended up with a flashlight. Now I used the flashlight to go upstairs because I was getting cold and I went to bed. But without any light, it was even a little creepy going to bed. I'm used to having some light from a street light that just gives a little dim light in my bedroom. Where I live in New York, it's out in the country, and there is no ambient light unless I decide to turn something on. And one of the things I love doing is going out in the middle of the backyard in the middle of the summer and putting a blanket down on the lawn and looking at the stars because there's nothing to deflect it. And I've never in my life seen as many shooting stars as you see when there's no ambient light. It's also kind of neat to go outside in the middle of the winter when there's no light and just see how many stars there are. When Jesus said we were the light of the world, he's thinking of that kind of light. Light that is always there, whether we can see it or not. Light that shines the way. We need to be those people. One of the things I love about camp, and trust me, I could go on forever and ever about camp, but one of the things I love about camp is the way kids become connected to the natural world. That they begin to see things from a different point of view. Instead of taking little rocks on the beach, they will look for those rocks that have eroded into them because they've been around a while. Or they'll look for beach glass to find those pieces of glass that have been worn by the waves and the sand for so long that they're smooth and beautiful. And they see how land erodes. And at the camp I'm most connected to, they had some flooding a year or two ago. And when the kids came to camp to work, they saw 
the power of water to wash away the And they understood from a different point of view what flooding does to people. They saw firsthand a place they love destroyed by the power of water. We need to be showing what it means to be faithful and to be part of a community of faith. We need to show people, not the people that are here. I mean, it's lovely to show people here that you care about them. But there's a whole world outside of people that are hurting, people that are homeless and hopeless, people who don't have enough to eat, and we need to show them the light of Christ. Now, I'm not saying to say to them, you know, here you go, I'm going to give you a Bible and that will warm your heart when you're cold on the street. But you can invite somebody to go for a cup of coffee and something to eat and share the love of Christ with them. When I was out west on the reservation, we did a lot of mission trips with young people through a company called YouthWorks. It's out in Minnesota someplace. And they would send groups in every week, and we would divide up kids for the week, and they would have half of the week was spent painting houses, and half of the week was spent. And we would have people come, and they would want to go door to door on the reservation to hand out tracts. They wanted to hand out these things that were going to save the heathens who were on the reservation. So after our first week, we had a little come to Jesus meeting with the staff and said, we're not doing that anymore. Somebody is going to get hurt. Somebody is going to knock on the wrong door and they are going to be hurt. So we adopted a St. Francis method of evangelism. For those of you who are not familiar with St. Francis, who is one of my favorite saints, he believed that we should preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. It has saved me more times than I can tell you that you preach the gospel by what you do, not by what God. You don't preach the love of God. We had some kids who found that easy to do. We had other kids who didn't think that that was the right way. They wanted to beat people over the head with the Bible until they got it. And I'm here to tell you that that method of evangelism rarely works because as soon as people can run away, they will. I love the Bible, and I would encourage all of you to read the Bible every single day. Every time I read the Bible, I find something new that I never saw before, which happens frequently for me. And the Bible didn't change. I have. 
I have grown. I see things differently. Every experience I have colors how I read a scripture. And I love it. But when people say to me, I'm going to read the Bible, I'm going to start at the beginning and read right straight through, I say, oh my goodness, just don't do that. Please don't do that. Because by the time you get past Leviticus, you're done. If you get past Leviticus. If you're planning on reading the Bible, start with the Psalm. It covers the full range of human emotion. It's where you learn you can be mad at God. And you know what? God can take it. God's got big shoulders. It's okay to get mad at God. And then read the Gospels. And from there you can start picking and choosing. But please don't start with Genesis and try to go all the way through. And when you get to Revelation... Read it like you're reading a novel. Think of it as fiction. Because not much in Revelation makes a whole lot of sense if you're trying to read it to figure out what's going to happen next. It won't work. I had a professor of New Testament who picked on me terribly because I was taking the intro my last semester on campus. So he picked on me all the time, and he said, when we find the key to unlock the code to Revelation, we should throw it away. He said, it is all written in code that we don't have the key to. And he said, we don't need the key. We can just enjoy the mystery of Revelation without having to figure it out. And every time you hear the people that go on the mountaintop because they interpreted Revelation to mean this particular thing, and they go on the mountaintop because the end is near, and when it doesn't happen, they say, oops, we forgot to carry the three. And that's just the end of it. When we're told to shine, the salt. It means that we are supposed to live the way Jesus tells us to live. If we want to be Jesus' followers, we need to know what Jesus did, know what Jesus said, and then follow his example. It's not good enough to just read and then keep it in our heads. I've been reading, I'm always reading something, but I've been reading this wonderful book, West with Giraffes. It's a wonderful book that really has a lot of life and love in it. And I never would have thought that giraffes could do that. But by golly, they do. And what I've learned from reading that book is that when somebody tells me, this is really good, you need to read it, I might want to do that. 
that it's not enough to just look at a cover of a book. A recommendation means a lot. So why are we afraid and timid and shy that the Word of God is all contained in that one book? That we can read the Bible and learn a lot. How many of you recommend that to people? My granddaughter, Emily, is my only camper, unfortunately. And after the death of her friend, and after her weekend at a youth retreat, where she told me that the kids there made her cry because they asked them on Friday night if anyone had anything heavy on their heart that they needed to share, and Emily said, yes, I do, and told them about Ava's death. And she said, all the kids, not the leaders, but the kids, gathered around her and put their hands on her and prayed. She said, it made me cry. It makes me cry, too. And then a couple days later, I get a text from Emily. I want to be baptized. And I said, we can make that happen. Without tears, but we will make that happen. Something happened at that retreat that changed her heart. And I guarantee you, it wasn't something she read. It was the way somebody treated her. It was the way somebody said, you matter. It was the way somebody reached out to her and said, we love you. We care about you. We care what happens to you. Something happened. That is evangelism. That is being salt and light. That is what Jesus has called us to do and to be. Now sometimes we think we don't have the strength for that. We don't know how we're going to do that. How do we know what we're going to do? And so Jesus, as only Jesus can do, Jesus gave us symbols to remember. Jesus gave us this ritual to take us to the next level. Jesus told us that we have the, all that we need. We have all that we need. All we need to do at this point is to live what Jesus showed us. He was leaving this not just for his few disciples around that table that night, that fateful night. After he had eaten with the people he loved the most, he took bread, blessed it, 
and asked that the people around him take the bread and eat. This is the bread of life, my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember, remember who I am. And in the same way, he took the cup, blessed it, and offered it to the people around the table, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for forgiveness of sin. Each and every time you drink of it, remember me. And so we remember, and we ask God to bless this bread and cup and bless each of us here that we might become the salt and the light of the world, that we might remember the Jesus in each of us. We ask that these gifts become the body and blood of Christ, that it just strengthens us and leads us into the world to be the people God calls us to be. Jill? There are little cups on either side for putting your toothpicks in. The toothpicks are in the bread. Dip that in the cup. The table is ready. The food is plentiful. Come and eat.
Sing home. 